here. Welcome to the Niger Filmmaker, a podcast about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Selegot. On this episode, my guest is Isema Idibe. She's an IP and entertainment lawyer. She's currently the head of media, entertainment, and IP law at Punuka Attorneys and Solicitors. We talk about why your production needs a lawyer, the controversial Mopicon bill, and useful insurance policies for your film. If you're a new listener, you're welcome, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Isyama. You're welcome to the Niger Filmmaker. Hi, Sele. Thank you so much for having me on your on your podcast. You're welcome. Um, can you introduce yourself? Okay, my name is Isyama Idibe. And I'm a partner at the law firm Punuka Atiniza Solicitors, where I head the media, entertainment, intellectual property, and technology practice. I've been practicing um, entertainment law for the last six years, um, largely in Nigeria, but um, doing a lot of cross-border transactions, representing, you know, Nigerian producers and talent, um, and also working for international um, media and entertainment companies um, in Nigeria and also advising across the continent. Yeah, so can you um, tell us a bit about your career background and, um, you know, when you kind of made that move into the industry and also, you know, starting out in intellectual property and entertainment law? Well, I actually started by accident <laughs> so um my husband well then when i was still a student my boyfriend now my husband is actually a filmmaker yeah and when i was when i came back from studying law in the uk because you have to come back and qualify as a lawyer in nigeria so you have to go to law school um you know after school we'll go out maybe to have drinks with um my husband and his friends and a lot of things they would complain about oh someone used my script and they didn't pay yeah. or you know without permission and stuff like that it just sounded like legal issues because i was a lawyer yeah. and so i actually would then go online and google like you know if this happened like you know what will you do and that's when i discovered entertainment law and that this was actually, a, you know, a, an area of practice providing legal services for the creative industry. Um, and then I decided, so I'll go back and talk to my husband's friends and say, hey, why don't you do this or why don't you do that? And those were my first set of clients. Yeah. And I realized we totally on that service area. And I went back to school to, to really learn about entertainment law in Canada, I was just going to do law school, just that my parents would have the certificate. It really wasn't much about me. Yeah. Then I was just start a food business that I had registered, and so this just came up, and it's it's been a wonderful experience. I've always liked the creative arts, you know. I was always drama club, or you know, even my love for food and cooking is creative expression. Yeah. But I haven't. I'm not the most talented person, right? so. I guess, again, it's allowed me to be around something I love, but also being able to add value through my um, knowledge and expertise as a lawyer. That's my origin story. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like um, with intellectual property, 
um can you break it down for us like what does it cover like what um different mediums does it cover different types of intellectual property protection that you can have uh copyright which yeah. is always very relevant in film and is really the key the key type of protection that applies yeah. when you look at filmmaking you have trademarks which are usually used to protect like your name or your brand right so you look at something like um mcdonald's which is this brand that is a associate you know a big brand that is protected trademark yeah you have patents at time which is to protect like you know mechanisms that can be industrialized or new creations or inventions that really can be you know multiplied so it understands the length and breadth of um human innovation and ingenuity and even the categories of intellectual property will continue to develop and grow as humans continue to evolve and innovate. Now, these different types of intellectual property protection have different ways that um, the innovator or the person seeking the protection can access them. He who creates owns. So the person who creates that work, and this is very important, whether or not they were commissioned by somebody else, as long as you are the creator and therefore the author under the definition of Nigerian copyright law, you own that intellectual property, you own that copyright. And you don't need to register for you to be the owner. This yeah. is for copyright. Now, to grant to, or to give that right to somebody else, whether or not that person commissioned you, you have to assign or license it through a written instrument, through a written document. So people have to understand that. And the law is, that, is written that way to ensure that those who are actually creating these intellectual properties are able to benefit from them. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, so that's how copyright works. Now, there are different categories of works that fall under copyright protection. The different types of works that go under copyright protection, you have literary works. Literary works would be um, a screenplay, even like a written code yeah. for, for like some kind of application. Um, you have musical works, so that's lyrics, actual like sheet music. Anybody who did music in school, you know, they say tremor and all that stuff. Um, you have artistic works, paintings, churches, yeah. um, buildings. Um, you have photographic works. You have cinematograph works, which yeah. is basically said films. And as you know, films are interesting because they actually, even performance as well, the actor's performance has a copyright protection over it. Yeah. So film is interesting because it is accumulation of all those works. You need all those works yeah. to create a film. So it's very important that when you as a producer, if you're a film producer, when you produce a film, although the Nigerian 
Copyright Act recognizes the producer as the owner of the intellectual property in the cinematograph work. Yeah. It also recognizes that that cinematograph work is a compilation of all these other types of works that are entitled to intellectual property protection and mandates that the producer gets the proper permissions and licenses from those other owners of those intellectual properties. Yeah. Now, this is when you talk, and all of that is related in what you call the chain of title. That is, the chain of title is saying, these are all the documents that show how I have come to own all the intellectual property as the producer in this film. Yeah. And therefore, based on that, I can go ahead and enjoy all the benefits that the owner of an intellectual, of that intellectual property will have. And what are those benefits? You can exploit the work, right? You can um, sell it. You can license it. You can do a remake of it you understand what i mean yeah you can uh, you essentially exercise control over the distribution the publication reproduction and adaptation of that intellectual property that is as regards copyright and the laws that cover copyright in nigeria are of course the nigerian copyright act 2004 which is currently being um is currently being um reviewed um, for a new copyright bill to pass so people in the industry should pay attention and make sure that um, you know all the protections that they need are in there you have the copyright levy materials levy of materials order 2012 yeah. which is basically saying it's basically a levy order on like any material that has the ability to reproduce intellectual property has like a it's almost like tariff charge on it but it's never been um, activated and that's sad because that's a huge way of generating revenue for creators because that revenue is sent to their collective management organizations who are then meant to distribute it to the right owners yeah. so this brings me to the, the copyright collective management organization regulation 2007 um which is a collective management organization is essentially like a body set up by rights owners to help them administer their rights. That is licensed and distributes usually f um, for public performance. Public performance is like I'm sitting in a hotel or a hospital yeah. lobby and the TV on. Everything that is playing on that TV is intellectual property, but it is not um, cost effective for every single right owner to chase every single hospital, hotel, bar, restaurant. You understand what I mean? Yeah. So they set up this organization to license all those uses and then distribute um, the the income. Um, and of course, the Constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria applies. Um, then you also have international treaties that apply. And this is interesting because Nigerian content is not just Africa-wide content, is is actually global content. Even before yeah. Netflix, unfortunately, most of those expectations were illegal, but thanks to Netflix, you know, and even Amazon and the rest of those platforms coming in, our content is now being legitimately consumed. Yeah. So you have the Bernay Convention 1886, 
Universal Copyright Convention 1957-52, sorry, the trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights trips, WIPO, World Intellectual Property Organization Copyright Treaty, the Beijing Treaty on Audiovisual Performances 2012, and Nigeria has actually signed onto all these treaties. They've just not regularized it into Nigerian law, yeah. which is part of what the um, update to the Copyright Act is also meant to do. And copyright is generally regulated by the Nigerian Copyright Commission. So you can, the Nigerian Copyright Commission, for instance, has a copyright registry. Now, remember I said copyright is automatic under Nigerian law. However, yeah. um, I always advise people to register at the copyright registry because what you do is that you put the public on notice hmm. that you are the owner of this intellectual property. And so if you have an issue of infringement, um, one, it's important because if people want to, let's say, create something, they can do a search at that registry and they see, oh, someone already has this and they'll back off. That's one benefit. The second benefit is when you go to court, it just makes your you proving your ownership to be easier. Yeah. In countries US, their laws are slightly different where they say, well, copyright is automatic, but if you want to enforce your copyright in court, you have to have registered it. Huh. And I think it mandates that registration there because of, of the reasons which I have um, stated here now. Then you have trademarks. So that's everything about copyright, which you can see from my explanation how it is so critical yeah. for the film industry. Then you have trademarks, which is for brands and logos. So again, you look at uh, you look at um, a project like King of Boys, for instance, uh. which you had the privilege of working on. Um, and the King of Boys logo and and that whole asset, that logo alone, is such a big intellectual property. And a trademark over that um, is critical um, because that is even an area of revenue for the filmmaker. So, yeah. for instance, if you build out a, a film or a project that becomes so... Um, you know, like Game of Thrones or even like Disney does this very well with their children's stuff. Yeah. You're able to then do a lot of merchandising, you know, all of that. So you need trademarks as well. I always tell people, if you do a film, trademark the title of your film. You know, you just yeah. never know how it could be useful. Plus, it just prevents somebody else from using it as well. Yeah. Patents, again, this doesn't really apply because that covers for inventions, industrial designs for shapes, surface decoration, and other artistic geographical indicators. You know, there's an argument that should we um, do a geographical indicator for their Saba movies, uh -huh. seeing that they all come from... I mean, like, it would be a stretch, but it would be interesting, right? Yeah. So that, like, a quick IP course 101, you know, for anyone. I hope it's helpful. Sorry, I missed something. I missed something. When I was talking about the international treaties, why they are important is that because Nigeria is a signatory to those treaties, it allows you to get the same protections, copyright protections you have under Nigerian law in those countries. That's okay. that's the benefit. Alright, that's that's useful. It also allows people in those countries to have protections in in Nigeria as well. Okay, so um you mentioned um con I think is it content uh, management organizations, the ones that um you know try to collect Collective management organization. Okay. Yeah. So um for the audiovisual rights society of Nigeria, 
do they fall under that? Yes, they are a collective management organization for audiovisual rights. Yes, they do. Yeah. So, can you tell us some of the services that a law firm can offer a creative or a production company, you know, throughout the whole um, production value chain? That's from, you know, the writing bit to exploiting the rights. Once you have a script, yeah. Even at the point of maybe a second or third draft, you should bring in a lawyer. Even, you know, having your lawyer read your script can even help you, for instance, in terms of risk management or, you know, maybe this, you know, you might want to reconsider this or, um, you know, oh, I'll tell you something like somebody did a film once and they had like in a fictional store they yeah. used the name and it was in of something that was a thing in real life and you're supposed to do <clears throat> title clearances and searches when you're doing films yeah so if you bring in your lawyer early enough they would pick up all these things and solve these problems you need your lawyer from pre-production all the way to post-production they're able to give you support just with the example i gave even at that stage, you should already be trying to get your insurance, which I'm sure we'll talk about yeah. later on. They would help you with doing all your contracts, your actors' contracts, your pre-sale deals. If you're doing a get negative pickup, your distribution deals, and all of that, help you with getting your insurance policy to cover your project. Like all of that, help you even to structure your project for financing. Okay. As I speak to you now. Um, I know how many projects I'm working on where we're structuring them to be able to enable them access financing. So the value of a lawyer um, in in filmmaking is cannot be overstated. Yeah. And a lot of people always understand. And I tell people it's more expensive when you come to a lawyer when you're in a crisis. Mm. Because at that point, you're desperate. The lawyer is dealing with a far more complicated situation so they're going to charge you an arm and a leg. But if you have a lawyer that's been with you, I'm not saying it'll be cheap. We certainly are not the cheapest lawyers in town. Yeah. Um, but it's more cost effective because one, I mean, you can bring in a lawyer to solve a problem for you. And sometimes a solution to your problem also involves you dropping more money, mm. right? Uh, a lawyer helps you save money. It helps you manage because their real job is to manage your risk, right? Because uh, when you don't manage your risk, one of the ways that you pay for that is usually financial. Either you're paying out or you're losing some monies that you could have gained. So an example would be you go and use someone's intellectual property without claiming the rights. You go and put music in your film yeah. without claiming the rights and signing a um, agreement that gives you the license to use it. And then the person comes and sues you later and gets a big judgment that is maybe four or five times what you would have paid if you actually just went to them to get the proper permissions. Mm. You understand, your lawyer can do the job and maybe get the matter to settle out of court, but that settlement would include you paying them a licensing fee, which probably is after you've done the film and you're broke and you're trying to even just recoup the money you've sunk into the project in the first place. You understand what I mean? Yeah. And then on top of that, you have to deal with this. So I, I think there is a lot that a lawyer does and you need lawyers and you need lawyers that understand because people then make the mistake and they go and call their cousin oh. that is a lawyer who doesn't understand entertainment law. You need 
an entertainment lawyer, as a filmmaker, to take you through the process, protect you, and make sure that everything is in order. Okay. Um, you talked about, you know, um, lawyers helping with structuring um, a production for financing. Can you explain a bit, like, why is that um, important? Well, someone giving you money for your project is a big deal. Yeah. Right? And a lot of the time, people have challenges with financing for several reasons. One, the industry has a reputational challenge, which also comes back to the fact that lawyers are not even involved in the process in the first place, and so the processes are not properly structured, the obligations are not laid out, and all of that. Yeah. Um, so there's a reputation issue. And then two, how do you, like, t what are the terms and conditions on which you're taking this money, and what are you guaranteeing in return? Because... A film is by design highly high risk. Yeah. I can make a beautiful film, full picture, everything, even good story, but the story just may not connect, uh. right? Because just that element of like what people would like that you cannot really, you can try and predict it, but it's still quite unpredictable. So what do you do when you've taken money in that situation? How do you manage that kind of risk, right? Um, what is the structure for that investment to even come in? Yeah. You know, how do we manage all those risks? How do we manage that investors so that, okay, even if this doesn't work out, I can still have access to that line of credit for other projects that will be successful. So there's a whole lot that goes into film financing and you need a lawyer who's experienced in this to help you structure your projects. People don't know how to structure film projects um, in Nigeria, but abroad it's just a normal, especially in Hollywood, and that's just a, it's the normal thing that they do, yeah. you know, but here these things, these frameworks are just coming in. I mean, I've spent many years, I remember, um, I don't know if it was my second or third AFRIF, yeah. I did a workshop I think last year's Africa was the only Africa where I didn't do a workshop and I just was on a panel. Huh. But um, normally the standard is I always do a workshop on something. Um, and I remember I did a workshop on structuring film projects and people just were shocked. You know, we talked about setting up special purpose vehicle companies. Now with the passing of the new comp uh, companies and Allies Matters Act 2020, you now have the option of even doing it as limited liability partnerships, which is closer to the LLC structure that you have in, in Hollywood. Yeah. And in each project stand on its own as an independent legal entity, which allows you to de-risk your own production company because you look at your production company like an incubator company. I incubate the project until it's ready to go into production and then I ship it off into its own separate legal entity, yeah. which my legal entity has taken. Allows me to engage other people in financing, to use different types of financing, whether it's equity, whether it's a combination of debt and equity. Do you understand? Yeah. Like, which in areas in other types of industries these are like kind of you know they are similar structures you understand yeah. but you know 
also need to know in the creative industry that our business is serious business. And so we should structure our businesses seriously and think about risk and managing our stakeholders and all of that. Mm. Of course, I'm I'm speaking, I'm trying to, I don't want to get too um, detailed, right? Yeah. About it. But I've, I think I've dropped some, some snippets, right? Yeah, definitely. Can you mention like three random facts about you? Oh my gosh, I am actually like the most random person. Um, had a cooking business when I was in um, university. Yeah. Very random fact. Um, what was your most popular um, dish? dish? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I think people always order. I don't think there was one thing that was particularly popular. To be honest, people tend to order tended to order a diverse range of foods. I don't recall that there was any particular food that was specifically ordered. Yeah. Um, okay. Another random fact about me is I absolutely love trashy reality TV. I love it. And people find that funny because people think I'm a very, very serious person. Yeah. But I really <laughs> have very serious things I do, such as my unhealthy love for trashy reality TV. So give me all the Real Housewives, I yeah. watch them. Um, love and hip-hop, I, I just love all that stuff. I guess maybe for me, it's a way that I completely decompress. Yeah. Um, and what's the most random? Third one. Oh. And one more. I'm actually really thinking. There are lots of random things, but I, I'm trying to give you something that I feel like is juicy. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I'm quite a random person. Oh, I love um like decor, like um home decor, interior decor. I'm like really, I'm kind of fairly good at it. Okay. <laughs> and I quite love is changing something in my house or fiddling with something. And I have a strong passion for interior decor. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you did was to help set up. A content verification service. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? So Verif content is basically it came out of um just being in a situation where I had a lot of clients that were having issues with content that they were putting on their platforms, um, different intellectual property infringement claims coming out. Like I mean, in some cases it was on a day to day basis. Yeah. So I set up Verif Content um, to be an organization through which people can come um, and, you know, what we essentially do is due diligence on intellectual property. So you want to do something, we can help you say this is who owns it and this is how to clear it. And can also go through the process of clearing it um, for you. So that's pretty much what Verif Content is. And um, it's been picking up a lot of heats, you know, recently. Um, just because again, our work now is now, you know, being consumed globally. So everybody wants to have their backs covered. You know yeah. what I mean? Not clearing certain copyrights. Can it kind of hamper um, the possibilities of getting worldwide distribution for your content? It does. Yeah, because no one wants to take on liabilities. People don't know that this is where insurance comes in, right? Because 
and this is a lot of verification that we do now is for insurance companies that want to give coverage to projects. Yeah. So not practice is that when you have a film, you should have what is called an errors and omissions. In Nigeria, it's called a professional indemnity, but it's basically the producer taking out a professional indemnity cover, yeah. covering that work instead party, intellectual infringement um, claims, defamation, liable claims. So in case by accident something isn't cleared properly and someone comes, instead of having to pay cash to pay your lawyer to defend you yeah. or to even pay off the claim, the um, insurance policy would cover it. However, of course, insurance is not in the business of paying claims. So the real value is that they would do that due diligence and they would only give coverage to a work that has that protection okay. that is unencumbered. Right? Now, if I was going to an international distributor with a work that had this coverage, global coverage, it improves my negotiation points because for them, they are taking a safe work because they would even become a third-party beneficiary of that policy because they are liable for infringement because they are exploiting the work if that were to come up. Yeah. I can probably get more money because I'm going with an unencumbered content. But one of the things that I use to lowball what is paid out for content in Nigeria is that, well, we're taking more of a risk because you guys are not going through the proper processes that you should go through. Yes. So, like, let's say um, a producer has started the project and at the beginning they didn't take an insurance cover. You know, taking that insurance cover in post-production, is that too late or they can always do that? Yes, you can, but the problem is, let's say, for instance, if at post-production stage, like people always make this critical mistake, you've done your film, and then you start thinking about the music after. Mm. Meanwhile, the cost of music should be part of your film budget, yeah. which means that you should have known the music you wanted to use at that time and figured out whether you could afford it at that time. People would have even already layered on the music and they are now trying to clear it, doing things backwards. Yeah. It then creates a very difficult situation because at the point of post-production, that's usually when the production in terms of financially is completely fagged out. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's so budgets are supposed to guide your activities. These things should be done as early as possible. You can do them after. But you can see some of the complications that can arise when you do them towards the end instead of starting with them in mind at the beginning. Okay. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about the different um, types of insurance covers that um, film production companies can get. You were, you were involved um, in kind of advising insurance companies on, you know, preparing special insurance covers for the film industry yeah yeah um so let's talk about the different ones that you know most um insurance companies offer i i know that like some years back i tried to for example i tried to get like insurance cover for equipment and also crew but with um one or two um companies they didn't have something purpose built for the industry so it was it was kind of um you know hard closing the deal with them 
So what are some of these insurance covers? Well, so you have, like you've already said, um, you've had music, sorry, equipment, rental, equipment. That's if you own, you get. If you rent, you get. There's public nuisance. Like, especially if you're shooting in a public place. Yeah. You know, if something happens, you want to have policy to cover that. Um group accidents so in case someone you know a light falls on someone there's an accident you're protecting all your cast and crew key cast critical so that's if let's say something happens i've shot like 40 percent of my film yeah. and my main character becomes incapacitated for whatever reason i have to reshoot i need the cost of you know replacing that to be covered you have negative insurance which is ensuring the completed film the hard drive where it is um, all saved in to save those rushes. Um, so in case it gets lost or it's damaged in a fire or water accident or whatever, yeah. you can get it to essentially we should because that's what you will need to do. Um, you have um, um, even life insurance sometimes can be taken out on some key cast. You have... Um, um, of course, I've talked about the errors and omissions, the like indemnity, and then you have completion bonds, which usually, um, if you are dealing with a financier that knows their onions, you would ask your project to get a completion bond attached to it. Yeah. And those completion bonds would mandate that you have all these other policies that I've even listed before. But really what the completion bond does is that if you essentially run out of money, to complete your project, the bond is supposed to be triggered. But really what the bond does is to make sure that the project is done on time and, and on budget. So for a financier, that's very comfortable for me because it means that somebody is monitoring this project, yeah. which my investment is inside. So those are some of the different types of insurance policies that you should have um, on your project. And for those who are listening to this podcast, it's quite sad that people always want to cut corners mm. and take too many risks with themselves and with the people that they are working with and with their project because they just don't want to be bothered to go through the process of getting these policies and doing all of this, right? But it's actually quite simple if you just choose to just from the beginning say, you know what, I'm going to do this project the way it should be done. It goes down to whether the quality of the story is good, which we're seeing a lot of backlash now from um the audience on the low quality of of uh, and it also goes into making sure that production is operating well yeah you know you have all policies to cover people if someone gets hurt or something happens to your production your investors feel safe that they can trust your money in your hand which means that they will come back again when you have another project. Yeah. Um, your crew are comfortable where they are shooting. They are well taken care of. You can get the best out of them when they are comfortable. So it's very important, all these things. You know, That's part of doing world-class level of work. Yeah. Okay, so for um, the majority of these insurance covers that you mentioned, is it something that is just on paper or the insurance industry have wide, widely adopted them in Nigeria? Um, 
we have a number of insurance companies that I mean they are not not all of them and there are so few that have policies but they are I'll say like three or four that have some of these policies, some even have all of these policies available. So if anyone has wants any information on like that, I mean, um, you can always contact me and we can guide you in the right way um, of getting that. Yeah, yeah let's move to um, the controversial Mobicon bill. Well, I mean, I don't really want to spend so much time talking about this because I feel like People in the industry need to take it seriously and that bill. But the long and short of it is that it is a bill that is seeking to establish the Motion Pictures Practitioners Council of Nigeria, which would essentially be like a government agency that regulates who can um, shoot films. Yeah. <laughs> and it has ridiculous language in it, like, oh, if you are not registered on that MopiCon, you cannot shoot, and if you do, you will be fined or you can go to jail. Um, and then even for you to be registered, you have to have all these years of experience, which who is going to get all those years of experience? I mean, one, I don't even think this bill can pass um, because it derogates from our you know, fundamental human rights that are guaranteed by the Constitution of the Federal Republic, yeah. which is the right freedom of association, freedom of expression, you know, they, they, they um, infringe those rights and there's they, they, they don't arise to the point of necessity for that infringement to occur. Uh. So that is problematic. You know, when you look at film industries across the world, some are fully self-regulated, like in the US. Some are co-regulated. That is, you have some, some government regulation and then you have itself self-regulating yeah. which is kind of we are in nigeria at the moment because you have nigerian film and video centers board playing a big role as a regulator um the fear apart from you know mopicon derogating from these constitutional rights which i've talked about the biggest issue is that it's going to stifle the industry yeah it's going to create more bureaucracy and then it's going to stifle creativity the beauty of the creative industries is that Look at, for instance, the Korodu boys. These are just some kids who were filming short videos for fun. Yeah. And now have an entire career built out of that. With a Mopicon, those kind of boys cannot exist. Yeah. So it is very problematic to have such an entity exist. What we need to be focusing on, rather, is getting our existing guild structure to work. Yeah. So young filmmakers should be joining their guilds and getting involved in their guilds. So their guilds can do for them what the people who are purporting this bill are saying, that the industry needs to be structured. Of course, the industry needs to be better structured, you know, for investment to flow, for for people to actually really make livable wages and, and have good lives here. But that's what guilds are meant to do. Your guild is meant to negotiate your stand, the standard terms of, of of employment for your specific class of service. Your guild is supposed to make sure that you have a healthcare plan and a pension plan because this industry is naturally a freelancing industry. Yeah. And, you, and you have examples of industries across the world that function in this way. They'll come and say, well, this is Nigeria. This does, it, it can't work. No. I, 
if Nigerians can leave Nigeria and go to other places and be the best at, in those places, we can do it. We have to choose that we want to make those organizations and those institutions that exist work. And the young people cannot simply play lip service and complain. They are the ones that have the majority of their careers in front of them. They have to get involved, actively involved in those structures and get them to do what they are supposed to do. You did a presentation at the American Film Market about the laws and regulation of the film of film distribution in Nigeria. Um, what are some you know, key points that filmmakers should be aware of? The biggest thing that they need to know is the fact that they need to um, get um, for you to distribute your film in Nigeria you need to have um, your um, uh, permits from the Nigerian Film and Video Censors Board, um, who uh, primarily regulate the distribution and exhibition of film and video works in Nigeria. Um, There are some regulatory issues where, for instance, said because... um, exhibition and distribution of film is not on the exclusive list so it means that states are able to set up their own census board so you have like census board in Kano I think for instance which they used to enforce you know their strict um, conservative um, you know points of views as regards censorship of films so you need to find you need to be able to work around um, those things um but there's quite a number of laws that actually apply when you look at distribution of course the constitution applies film and video censors board act does karma does as well the copyright act does for the reasons i talked about you know being able to own all those rights that you're exploiting vis-a-vis the cinematograph film there are tax issues that arise um you know and, and, and stuff like that. So um, it's important to understand those things. Again, you should um, engage a lawyer um, to advise you on those processes. But really, if you work with um, a good distributor, they will also be able to give you some guidance on, on all of that as well. Okay. All right. So um, can you mention that one film or TV show that you always love to revisit, to rewatch? Oh, my favorite film that I've watched, and probably the only film I've watched multiple times, is Pulp Fiction. Absolutely okay. love that film. I don't even know why I love that film so much. Yeah. But I think probably because it was like the first time I watched a really like artistic film, and it just stuck with me. Yeah. And in terms of TV shows, um, what TV show have I watched? Sex and the City. Okay. Love, 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 sex, and yeah. Um, most times when um, you know, a film has been completed and it has had its cinema run, um, the the producer starts having negotiations with um the let's say video on demand services, let's say Netflix, Amazon. What's the benefit of you know having a law firm do that on your behalf? These people are experienced in these types of transactions and they can 
protect you. So, of course, you need a lawyer mm. to guide you through types of negotiations. And also, especially lawyers who are instrumentalists uh, in the industries, they also have information about, like, for instance, you know, how much you can push to get more money and things like that because yeah. they would have, they can have inside information about, like, you know, what the platform can actually pay. You know. Okay. Um, what do you think um, the industry should be doing to get the government to be more serious about tackling piracy? I mean, I feel this piracy conversation uh, is exhausting to me. The focus should be on building legitimate distribution channels. You really, you, you, I mean, pirates, you kill one today, there's another one tomorrow. And then our industry signed a deal with the devil many years ago where, you know, where, you know, marketers were funding, you know, projects and were, you know, essentially distributing the project and, and, and the films. Yeah. And so now you want to, back on that deal is tough. The only way around it is to create alternatives, which you're seeing happening um, with Netflix and the rest coming in. So yeah, just, um, the industry just needs to, yeah, create more avenues to exploit um, their content. Especially with the um, AFCTA coming in, um, we need to make sure that we're creating legitimate distribution channels across the continent. So that we can leverage on the benefits of the AFCT as an industry. Nollywood is evolving, and um, you know what? We're dealing with bigger budgets for our films, and our films are traveling further. But um, what do you think um, the industry should prioritize in terms of, you know, making concrete improvements? Structure. Getting properly structured. Um, paying people better. Making sure that people can be taken care of even you know after they are in active you know work and i think that once we decide that we want to run as an industry not a community of filmmakers which is what i think we really have now yeah um everything else would fall in place um, we will be taken much more seriously by the government and they would even have more clarity in a more structured system of how to adequately support and create an enabling environment. More investment will flow through because the sector will be just essentially more sanitized and all of that. We need to focus on structuring the yeah. internal thing. Um, let's say a production doesn't get insurance and there's an accident on set. Um, according to the Nigerian, according to Nigerian law, who is um, liable, you know, to go down? Let's just say there's like a a death on set as a result of the production. Who is legally um, liable for that? I mean, the producer has has liability, and you can sign all sorts of contracts and say you're not liable, but you know. If you are found to be negligent, that may not save you as a producer. Okay. And um, are you aware of any case that is similar to this, you know? Yes. And and I know that that producer now always was able to find a way out of that, but now always make sure that he has insurance on all his productions. 
Okay, so for Verve content, like if people need to um, engage your services on that, how can they find you? Just send an email to info at verifcontent.com. Um, we don't have a website yet. We're working on that. Um, but you can reach us today. You can also reach me on my email, i.edibe at punuka.com. Um, and um, just send an email and we'll also deal. Okay. Um, yeah, thanks, Ishama, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. We have come to the end of this episode. Remember to rate and review the podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Selegal Film and the podcast at the Niger Film Pod to share your feedback. You can now support the podcast by visiting the website to donate. See you on the next episode. Have a good one.